Welcome back to Franklin Covey's twice weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host. Each week, six years, nearly 350 episodes taped, where on Tuesdays and Fridays, we share with you both in audio and video format podcast interviews with some of the most influential, consequential thought leaders and luminaries of our time. Sometimes they are CEOs, best-selling authors, members of the clergy, entrepreneurs, athletes, Olympians, actors, celebrities. Sometimes they are people that may not be a household name, but have experienced some tragedy, some unspeakable ability to triumph over unrelatable circumstances and both summon the courage and vulnerability to come and talk about it to us, all in the hopes of making us better, better leaders, better friends, better partners, spouses, individual contributors, whatever the primary roles you are experiencing in life, this podcast is meant to make you more effective and better. Today, I'm delighted to swing the camera internally to one of our own thought leaders, Barbara Cogburn. She was both a client and now is one of our experts specifically around a new solution that Franklin Covey has recently released. We call it Navigating Difficult Conversations. So if you have any conflict in your life, perhaps it's with your father-in-law or your neighbor, your landlord, your mortgage broker, your you name it. Perhaps it's someone on your team that works with you or for you. Or maybe you have a difficult conversation you've been avoiding with your leader or a vendor, a supplier or a client. One of the world's foremost experts is joining us today. She is both a senior consultant and the subject matter expert for Franklin Covey on navigating difficult conversations. Barbara Cogburn, welcome to On Leadership. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm delighted to have you here. We're taping this on a Friday afternoon, and we're delighted to have what I think is a crucial conversation, no pun intended. Franklin Covey, for decades, has been the most trusted leadership firm in the world. Most people know us as the provider of a variety of iconic solutions, whether it is the speed of trust, the four disciplines of execution, the five choices of extraordinary productivity, the seven habits of highly effective people, literally hundreds of millions of professionals around the world have either read our books, attended our immersive work sessions, either live in person or perhaps live online or in some hybrid manner. Recently, you were one of the lead architects for a solution that every human being needs called Navigating Difficult Conversations. Barbara, before we get into the insights and the how-tos, will you rewind a little bit and reorient our listeners and viewers to what has been a fascinating career you've had and kind of how you came upon drawing upon your expertise to help Franklin Covey launch this new, much-needed solution, Navigating Difficult Conversations. Thanks, Scott. That is great. I appreciate that so much. Um, I know you know a little bit about me, but I spent about 20 years in the Marine Corps, so I definitely know a few things about difficult conversations. I've had a few um, that were kind of interesting, but spent many years teaching our content as a client and then came to Franklin Covey about 14 years ago and have been with us ever since and seen what difficult conversations can do for people um, in the workspace. It's it's a challenging, challenging subject for people. So a little bit about my background, military, and then trans transitioned over into the private sector. Well, we're delighted you're here. I'm sure everybody has a conversation in mind that they either have to have, they've neglected to have. My experience has been the best strategy is just to avoid them because they usually work themselves out. 
Of course, that's <laughs> preposterous. We both know that. They never work themselves out. They become more difficult. You know, I once heard our mutual friend Stephen M. R. Covey, the son of our founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who, of course, wrote the two seminal books, The Speed of Trust and his most recent book, Trust and Inspire. He once said to me the following. He said, you know, I think a leader's most important role is to recruit and retain talent. And their second most important role is to provide people feedback on their blind spots, which certainly is a difficult conversation. My wife will tell you that I land on one far end of a continuum when it comes to uh, conflict and difficult conversations. She says, not only am I comfortable, that I'm a heat-seeking missile, that I seek them out, that I love to have them. And there's probably some truth to that. I'm quite comfortable. I didn't say competent. I said comfortable having difficult conversations. The opposite end of that continuum is my life partner and best friend, my wife, who avoids Mm -hmm. conflict at all possible measure, doesn't like to have it. She would go home. She would quit a job before she had to have a difficult conversation. She has lots of other talents, many of them. I'm guessing in this continuum... Is your experience that most people end on one end or the other? Do they kind of, is it a bell curve where we're kind of in the middle? What's been your experience around how people might rate themselves in being competent of navigating difficult conversations? Well, in my experience, we just ran into people so often that just say, I've tried to do this. I've tried to have the conversation. It's not gone well at all. Um, in fact, we've had clients tell us it's gone so poorly they've left the agency they're at and, and moved somewhere else. Um, but I do find that people have varying degrees of comfort around it. It's, I think what you said earlier, it's about the success, Scott. Sometimes people do okay and they get to a successful place, but most of the time people really struggle with it. And they don't have a good process, a good process that gets them from point A to point B where they feel comfortable, competent, and in their own right, they're going to be able to manage the relationship by the time they're done with the conversation. So it, it can be all over the board, but we tend to skew towards people who've had a challenge with it. And I'm guessing people define progress or success differently. We'll get to the process in just a moment. In your experience, and as Franklin Covey's global expert on this topic, along with many of our consultants, when difficult conversations go wrong, what are the common ingredients? What's happening? Well, I think the common ingredient is people don't understand each other's intent, where we're going. Um, They can make assumptions. But the biggest thing that we got when we did the um, research for this is the emotion. People are scared of the emotion or just really worried about it and how it will show up and manifest in a conversation. And so sometimes they just spend too much time worrying about the emotion before the conversation, or sometimes it just blows up in the middle of it and they don't know what to do with the emotion. So really the emotion's the biggest thing, but another component can be not being very clear about what you wanna gain out of the conversation and the other person doesn't know where you're going and there's just not enough safety for them in the conversation because they don't really understand your motive. Barb, after 30 years of being a formal leader in my career with um, you know, varying levels of success, I have led hundreds of difficult conversations. I'm quite comfortable doing it and have become more mm-hmm. competent. When I have found they have gone wrong and I'm responsible, it's usually because I over role played it. Like I role played it first with myself and I said, Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to say this and then I know they're going to come back with that. And then I'm going to say this. And I do think it's important to role play difficult conversations in confidential settings. But sometimes you can assume bad intent or you think you know 
what's really going on in the situation, you uncover more. Talk about how sometimes we can overconfidence ourselves that we know what's going to happen, and then we take that agenda or that conversation in a direction that might not be better or good for either of us. Yeah, Scott, I think that is such an important point that we get really attached to an outcome. And that's when conversations can go wrong. And, and I would just remind everybody to kind of think back to a time when you got involved in a conversation and what you discovered was surprising and it didn't go the direction you thought it would go at all. Sometimes the skill is really thinking through the conversation to the point where you know what your intent is, your positive intent for the other person, kind of thinking through how you want to regulate the emotion as you get into it and not being so attached to an outcome so you can be open and fluid in the moment. And I think that really creates a much better conversation. And the other half of that is if you're too worried about getting to a solution, you might not have the best conversation. Sometimes it's great just to see what other people are thinking, kind of give yourself some time to digest it. And really coming back and saying, this is good. I've heard it differently. I didn't expect this. Can we get together again and figure out what we'll do um, and, and how to resolve this? So you can always come back and revisit it if you don't get to the end of a conversation. And sometimes that allows you to manage the relationship. It's such a higher level of emotional maturity. So I think you're right about that. Just over role playing can be um, put you at a deficit sometimes. Um, a higher level of emotional maturity, not a concept I am intimately acquainted with, as my family and friends would tell you. Um, let's talk about the process, a fundamental principle of Franklin Covey's navigating uh, difficult conversations is this concept of balancing courage with consideration. I love this concept, popularized both by Dr. Covey, his son Stephen M. R. Covey, I think we hear this idea of an excess of one does not make up for a deficiency in the other. Reorient everybody to this kind of tongue twister of what it means to balance courage and consideration together. What does it look like, sound like, feel like? Yeah, thanks, Scott. So in relationship to having difficult conversations, this is probably our, our fundamental kind of framework of the skill, is bringing people into this idea of what's courage. I need to be courageous and have the conversation. I don't want to avoid it. I need to be able to share openly and candidly about where I'm I'm having trouble with the conversation or where I feel um, that we don't see eye to eye. So courage is sort of this ability to step into the conversation and share your point of view, what you need out of the conversation to get your needs met. And then we also have to think about the person on the other end because relationships need to be reciprocal. So what does the person on the other side of my conversation need? Um, they need my consideration to listen, not get too attached to my outcome like we talked about earlier, and just really understand what's important for them to get out of the conversation is being considerate to them. So before you ever go into and enter one of these conversations, you've got to get really clear in your head, how do I balance these two elements of courage and consideration? If I can do that, I'm probably set up and in the right frame of mind to have a really good productive conversation that doesn't elevate that tension any further than what it's already been elevated to. Barb, most of our listeners and viewers will know that my wife and I, Stephanie, are parenting three young boys. All to her horror have my energy and personality. These sons are 9, 12, and 13. Well, one of mm -hmm. them, we won't name them, um, behavior necessitated 
a meeting this week with the, the, the teacher and the principal and the headmaster, the governor, yeah. the senator, the president, the UN. It was everybody. And, <laughs> and, and, and one of the principals, who I know is very academically competent, who mm -hmm. uh, was lovely, I felt like she was using her process on me. She had a process, mm -hmm. and it felt, I felt very processed. And I, and okay. I, I had to, I had to uh, assume good intent, because you know it's mm -hmm. not my first difficult conversation. But yeah. there's a fine line, is there not, between navigating difficult conversations and calling upon the principles and the process, and also like just building rapport and 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 not trying to artificially work the person through a process. Because I felt like I was being put through her academic process. I'm like, yeah, this is Scott Miller. So you I mean you probably needed to try a different approach. Not everybody is me, thank the Lord, my wife says. What's the balance between using the process and also feeling the situation and knowing what's best in the dynamic to make sure you get to a good outcome? Because people know when you're putting them through your process. Yeah, I think that's so that's so interesting the way you you shape that too. That sense of you know exactly that this is not a good fit for you right away. I think that's really nice about the process that we've created. We we have this foundational concept of courage and consideration. And then the next piece we're asking you to lean into is to really think about what's your purpose? What is the purpose? What do I need out of the conversation? But the other half of that is what's my positive intent for the other person in this conversation with me? And when you can start a conversation by just clearly stating your intent, your positive intent for the other person, then people know your motive and they don't have to second guess where we're going. And it feels a little bit more authentic. Even if people don't necessarily agree with what my intent of the conversation is, if I can share that and just put it out there, they don't have to guess about it. And that creates safety and then you can give people just the benefit of the doubt and hopefully kind of step into the conversation. But being able to do that in a really authentic way kind of avoids the feeling, I think, Scott, that you were experiencing. And that loaded right up front is really one of the keys to success so people don't feel like they're being manipulated. Because if they don't know your motive, they're going to guess or they're going to make an assumption. Yeah, right. And it usually is not in line with what you really are trying to communicate with them. Uh, what I hear from you is the value of preparation that we should talk about how you don't wing a difficult conversation. Can you kind of rewind in, as listeners and viewers right now are thinking about a specific difficult conversation they need to summon the skills to navigate, what does great preparation look like? Remind people kind of the yeah. process of being prepared yourself to navigate the conversation. Yeah, I think uh, so. It, it's I think it's kind of three parts that we look at as we do this. One is coming back to courage and consideration, getting your mindset in the place it needs to be. Um, what's the balance of courage and consideration between me and the other person in the conversation? That courage and consideration will help me adapt in the moment if the tension gets too high, if too much emotion shows up in the conversation. I can always come back to that place of going, am I approaching this with a balanced feeling and look into the conversation. Then getting clear on what's my purpose? Why am I having the conversation? Why is this important? And then what is my positive intent for the other person? If I state that up front and get very clear, I'm off to a pretty good start where people aren't suspect of me. They're not worried about my motive. They don't have to be defensive because they don't know where I'm going. 
those two things right there are probably the amount of preparation you're going to need. Now, I've rattled that off in a quick minute, right? You're probably going to give it some more thought and just really think about it and, and, and get all of this so it feels like it's second nature when I share it in the conversation. Then the third skill that we teach people how to use in navigating difficult conversations is really this idea of what happens when I'm in the conversation and maybe the tension starts to creep back into it or emotion shows up that I wasn't expecting or it's the same emotion from before and it's just kind of rearing its ugly head and I need to now do something because that's sending me a signal that this conversation's not going well. And in those moments, we teach people how to kind of pause, observe, and ask. Just three simple little things that you can kind of use in your mind to say, wait a minute, I need to stop for a minute, take a moment, adjust this conversation, let me figure out what's next. I can pause, kind of think about it. Maybe I ask a question to get some clarity. Scott, where are you out on this? It sounds like you're getting um, kind of attached to um, a position again, and I'd really love to know how we keep this moving forward, right? So I can ask you a question. But that way, not having to do too much preparation, just the essentials, allows me to be fluid in the conversation and really meet you where you're at and kind of stay in there without heightening too much tension. So preparation up front, positioning is important, and then being able to have a tool in the middle to regulate the conversation as it moves forward. Let's go deeper on that. You talked about pause, observe, and ask. Um, mm -hmm. I think one of the consistent learnings I take away from the multiple podcasts that I host for Franklin Covey, when I interview people from the C-suite or uh, thought leaders like yourself, is the power of self-regulation, is the power yeah. of regulating our body language, our mm -hmm. gestures, our energy, our voice, our tone, our pitch, things we shouldn't say but are thinking. I also think, combined with, most of us are kind of uncomfortable with silence. I know I am. I'm always talking in the hopes of moving towards a solution, and sometimes it moves it away from a solution. Will you mm -hmm. kind of take a deeper dive on the power of the pause? What and is that? How do you make that not feel artificial, and how do you use that to your and your colleagues' benefit? Yeah, when we're talking about pausing, too, there's a lot of reasons I might pause. Again, and I, I kind of stated some of these earlier. It, it, it's starting to get tense. The emotion's coming back up. You know, in my mind, I'm trying to have a better conversation. And uh-oh, here comes some of the stuff we've had before. The pause is great. It gives me a moment just to stop for a minute, regroup, get in my head and decide where do I want to go next. And when I'm doing that, sometimes it's just... It, it just get really comfortable and maybe have one of those hip pocket phrases and just say, you know, Scott, I'm thinking about your last comment. It's important to me. Just give me a moment to process and just ask for a moment to process. Let me think about what you said for a minute. That's interesting. I didn't see that coming. You know, anything like that to show people I'm still with you. I'm still hearing you. I'm just thinking about what you said. It gives you a moment just to regroup and decide where you want to go or sometimes you really are just thinking about it. So the pause is fantastic. Or if you're pausing and people go, Barb, what's going on? Just say, I'm really thinking about what you just said. And just a simple, simple comment will kind of keep your conversation on track while you're giving yourself just some space to manage that conversation for yourself. I think it's great permission. And by the way, I don't think we have to respond in the moment to everything we hear. We can sometimes say, you know, I'll need to think about that because I want my response to reflect how I 
I'm going to yeah. feel later about this as well, too. Not everything necessitates yeah. a response in the moment. I think we think yeah. it does, but it doesn't. One of the sections of your work and the Franklin Covey solution is this idea of visualizing how you will respond to the other person's emotional state and their reactions. I love this because it's important not to think you've perfected it because they may respond yeah. in a way that's different than you thought about. What are some of the rules of visualizing how it might go, what their response might be, and what your reaction will be to that? Yeah, and part of the process too is we take people through a difficult conversation in the session. And that's, we kind of help them map it out, you know, and think through some of the things that you and I've talked about so far. And then we get down to this point where we say, you know, what emotion are you concerned about? Um, because really in our work, that's what we found. Again, so many people avoid these. They don't want to do them. They're worried about the emotions. So we really hone in on that. What emotion are you worried about, you know, surfacing or coming up in the conversation? They get to write that down. And that's where the visualization practice comes in. Thinking about what it might show up like, how it might manifest in the conversation and what they want to do like in reaction to it. How do I want to show up and react? Do I want to say anything? Do I just want to be calm? Do I just want to hear it and listen to it? And really giving them a way to think through what their response might be and maybe how that's been different than in the past. And so that visualization activity is fantastic about thinking through how I can do this differently. Barb, you mentioned earlier the power of intent and declaring your intent. And yeah. I'm going to ask you a challenging question about this because I'm going to guess most people think their intent is pure and noble and trustworthy when the fact of the matter is good people still have bad intent. Good people still have hidden agendas. How, mm -hmm. would, you, how would you remind people when they're, when they're checking their intent? Because you can declare an intent that isn't true. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of us do that maybe consciously when our subconscious is to railroad the person out, to minimize them. I, I think most people don't admit that you can be a good person and still have subconsciously some bad intent. What's the best exercise for someone that needs to lead a difficult conversation and they want to get congruent on what their intent really is and the mm -hmm. same intent that they are declaring in the moment with their per with their their colleague. Yeah, oh, Scott, you just gave me so much to unpack in that. That's just really interesting. You know, I, what I want to say this about intent. Intent is extremely powerful in itself. You know, we have the luxury of, of being able to practice and use this tool coming out of the you know leading into speed of trust work that we've done here at Franklin Covey, Stephen Mr. And, and it's a powerful tool because, it, it, like I said earlier, if I can declare intent, it keeps the other person not having to guess and assume a motive and create safety for them. Now, then it's up to me to regulate myself throughout the conversation to stay with my intent. If I have enough maturity, um, you know, professionally or emotionally, depending, you know, if I'm in a professional setting or maybe in a setting where I'm dealing with something in my personal life, Hopefully I can regulate if my intent is skewing and I'm getting off, you know, my intent and I'm kind of going to a place where it's like, yeah, now I can kind of drive this point home. Okay. If I can regulate myself, I can always come back to my intent in the conversation and say, let me revisit my intent. My initial intent was to do X, Y, and Z with this conversation. Um, do you feel we're still on track? 
But if I can't manage it, then it can be very transparent to the other person that what I started with is not where I'm at now. And I'm starting to just kind of um, undermine my own credibility in the conversation. And that's the thing about people. We're messy. We're just not always, you know, perfect at everything we do. So some of these prompts are really good if you find yourself off track from where you started with positive intent for the other person and the intent is clear for you that you use the tools and you just say it out loud. I, I feel like I'm kind of straying from my intent. Let me get back on track with this. But it can go both ways with other people, too, with their intent um, not being, you know, um, they're not being straight with you. So you can get it on the other side, too, where your intent's good and the other person's is not, too. And you can easily just manage that by checking in with them. I could say to you, Scott, what's your intent? Um, I feel like the conversation's starting to go a little bit of a different direction. What's your intent with this mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. So you can use this two ways, but it is about regulating when it's about you. I don't, what do you think about this? I'm not sure how that sounds to you. That was a handful. Well, I love your response. I love if perhaps you are leading the difficult conversation and someone is maybe taking it in a direction you're not sure. I love this mm -hmm. phrase, hey, um, I'm not sure what your intent is right now, why it's going this direction. Can you, can you share that with me? I think that's yes. actually a really great tool. Barb, when, mm -hmm. a, when a difficult conversation goes sideways and it ends with no resolution, mm -hmm. perhaps it ends worse than when it started or at the same place, any advice to people on how to get it back on track the next hour, the next day, another time? Yeah. I'm not sure that's part of the Franklin Covey solution, but your expertise on this, I think, will be instructive to people. Well, it is kind of the conversation we have in this session, and, and hopefully you don't get that far down the road where it ends poorly again. Um, I, I mean, your initial conversation that brings you to doing the work with us probably could have ended that way. But we're hoping when you go through um, you know, this content with us and you learn some of the tools, really the big idea we want you to take away is, can I step back into that conversation and minimize some of that tension with these tools and these skills that I've been talking about with you today, Scott, and move the conversation forward. So I'm trying to reduce the tension, still move the conversation forward. Even if we don't get to a final resolution, that's okay. We don't have to get super attached. We can come back and revisit it if we keep the relationship in good working order. So I think there's just those three things, right? Moving the conversation forward, reducing the tension, all the while keeping that relationship in decent working order, or maybe improving the trust in the relationship between the two of you. So if you don't resolve it, you can come back and revisit it because you've kind of garnered some trust with this person by not you know, letting things get elevated and out of control. I don't know of an organization, for-profit, not-for-profit, ecclesiastic, military, government, that doesn't need their leaders to become more adept at navigating difficult conversations around performance, yeah. expectations, you name it. But by the way, mm -hmm. you don't have to be a formal leader to have a difficult conversation with a peer or a member of another team no. across the organization. Talk to everyone right now that's thinking, oh my gosh, my team needs this. All of our leaders, our individual producers, how does someone adopt this in place? Is, is it uh, all virtual? Is it like facilitator led? Mm -hmm. Give me a sense for where does someone start? Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm going to back up that a, a little bit because I love this question. I think it's great. I think, too, when you look at this and go, do we need this solution? I, I would ask you to start with what's the cost you're paying by not being able to do this well? 
But what's the cost you're paying by not being able to resolve and, and have, you know, your people in the organization have these skills to resolve difficult conversations? Then once you figure out what the cost is that you're paying, then it's time to say, yeah, what's the best way for us? And there's a virtual solution that you can do. It's a two-hour module. It's fantastic. Um, we take people through some difficult conversations, what it felt like, what it was like. They get to partner and share and get, get you know, some feedback and coaching together in a virtual setting. But they work from one end of the conversation to the other, and it, it's fantastic. So the virtual experience is, is very well done. It's a very targeted skill. That's why we can do it in two hours. And then we also have the ability to come in and do it live with you also. I, I have found for me that live, I do a little bit more time, build it in. It's a little bit longer. People want to talk about difficult conversations. We want to share a little bit, and we get to role play with each other a little bit more too. But there's both options depending on what your need is. So it's, it's easy to accommodate whichever format works best for you and your people, and you, you know what's best for you. I mean, it's definitely a skill people can learn. I have, mm -hmm. I have been complimented about few things in my life. One of them is my ability to work through difficult conversations, but mm. not because I came out of the womb with this skill. It's because I screwed up yeah. the first couple hundred of them. It's why my human resource file was, in fact, an expandable folder <laughs> here at Franklin Covey. Mm. However, on the last half of my career, where people had the benefit of all of my you know, train wrecks, I think that just proves that this is a skill people can build, but it does take practice, does it not? It takes getting yeah. it wrong sometimes. It takes apologizing. Mm -hmm. I love some of the language that Stephen M. R. Covey has taught us. You know, I might need a do-over. I, I might need for you to pre-forgive me and using the wrong words. My intent is to do mm -hmm. this. And I, there's just some phrases that are, that are genuine that I think can help take people there. When you find people are moving from insecure and feeling incompetent to more secure and more competent, they've mastered which parts of this process the most? I'm not really sure. I don't know. That's such a great question. I don't know that I've ever asked it like that. Um, I, I think when they're not, if you've been a person who really deflects or moves away from conflict and you're willing to step into it, then you're starting to master the skill. So when you stop avoiding conflict and you go, nope, I have some resources and tools that I feel comfortable yeah. with and I can handle this, then you're in a good place and you're really utilizing the skill. So I think that one thing really shares with you, you know, how I, I feel um, comfortable about it. The one thing I'll just say from my own perspective, I cannot say enough about how much using intent right up front has helped me in my professional life, my personal life. And I just have so many discussions with people over the years about, Share your intent with any feedback you're giving somebody in your organization, any difficult conversation. Start with intent always and create the safety that the other person needs to have an open, transparent, honest conversation with you. If you can do that really well, you probably can navigate some of these more difficult conversations. That's my perspective. That's how I feel about it. What are your thoughts? Because it was well, a great question. I'd love to know. That's not where I thought you would take it, but I actually think it's a mic drop moment. Um, I think most people are probably just avoiding them. They're abandoning them. They're mm -hmm. not having them. And they're snowballing. And there's lack of clarity, lack of resolution, lack of progress, lack of trust. All these things that are the C-suite's worst nightmare when it comes to actually yeah. executing strategy. So I think your point is brilliant around, you know, half the battle is just putting yourself into the mix and 
maybe even yeah. unprepared. Check your intent, mm -hmm. balance courage with a consideration, pause, yeah. reflect, recognize that not everything has to be wrestled to the ground right then and there. You may choose to take some time to come back to it. I love Absolutely. this idea of just stop avoiding it and get mm -hmm. involved. And with a two hour virtual work session, you can make major progress when you have some of the methodology and process and structure that this course, Navigating Difficult Conversations, brings to our clients. Barbara Cogburn, expert at navigating difficult conversations. I appreciate your time today. We're all better off from having met and listened to you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Scott. Pleasure to be here. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.